Corey Ten Boom once said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. There's a, uh, a gap year college program here in the upstate called Vox, Vox Bivium, that I, I teach at several times a year. And at the beginning of each academic year, I make it a point to ask the students what their plans are after college. And it's good to have plans. It's good to have goals for your future. But I also tell them that no matter how brilliant of a planner you may be, no matter how certain you are about your path in life, no matter how much time and effort and forethought that you give to planning your future, it will most likely not end up looking like you thought it would. There are not many people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or older who will tell you their life looks exactly like they thought it would when they were 20. Right? How many of you in here 40 or older would say, my life turned out exactly like I thought it would? Raise your hand. Exactly. Because only God knows what tomorrow brings. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James, the brother of Jesus, said, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, James 4, 13 through 15. And again, it's not that we, we shouldn't think about the future or even prepare for the future. All of that is fine. But in the end, no amount of planning or preparation can guarantee a particular outcome. And so probably a much more important question for all of us to be able to answer in this life rather than what are your plans for the future, the far more important question that we should be able to answer is how are you going to handle yourself and your circumstances when things don't go as you planned in your future? Because they won't always go as planned. And the fact is that's when your metal is tested. That's when your character is exposed those are the moments when your future is defined and how you respond when everything is not going according to plan. There are far more examples in Scripture than we could ever possibly list today of men and women who made decisions and took actions when everything was not going as they thought it would, circumstances they never would have been able to predict, and yet faced with the greatest uncertainties, they made decisions and took actions that set the course for the rest of their lives. People like Ruth, who after losing everything she had, including her husband and all her future plans, refused to abandon her mother-in-law, even though that's what she was expected to do. And yet because of her faithfulness to Naomi in the direst of circumstances, Ruth was redeemed by a wealthy man named Boaz and had a child in the line of David, of Jesus Christ himself. And people like David who decided to take on Goliath against all odds and all advice from his family and initially even his king. Yet he was victorious and later became king of Israel himself. People like Esther, who knowing that almost certain death awaited her if she dared to approach the king on behalf of her people without first being summoned by the king according to their laws, she decided to go and speak to him anyway on behalf of her people, telling her cousin Mordecai, hey, if I perish, I perish. And because of what she did, the people of God were saved and even flourished in the land. People like Daniel who constantly proved himself faithful to God in the most difficult circumstances, refusing to be defiled by a pagan food, refusing to bow to a pagan God, continuing to pray to the one true God, even though it was against the law of the land, so he was thrown into a pit full of hungry lions, and yet because of his decision to be faithful to God over and over again, come what may, Daniel not only survived, but he became a ruler in the land, second only to the king, 
with tremendous, uh, tremendous influence over the fate of his people. We go on and on here all day about the people in Scripture who decided to faithfully follow God even when things didn't go as planned. And because of those decisions and the actions that followed, their entire futures were set on an entirely different trajectory. And yet as different as their stories are from one to the other, there's a common thread throughout every one of them under the most intense pressure in the gravest circumstances, facing insurmountable odds, the most unexpected events, each one of these great men and women were strong and courageous. By the way, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is what we do in the face of fear. God knows we'll be fearful at times. In fact, he's the one who created us with the capacity to know fear. So it's not the absence of fear that makes us courageous, just like it's not the absence of weakness that makes us strong. The Apostle Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. You see, strength and courage are choices that we make when we feel weak and afraid. True strength and courage are choices that we make when we feel weak and afraid, which is what God has been calling his people to rise to from the beginning, that in every occasion, in every difficult circumstance, in every twist and turn of this journey that we're on, especially those which require us to face great challenges in our lives, in every occasion God calls his people to be strong and courageous. And yet, do you know, those fortitudes, strength and courage, they aren't rooted in or derived from self-reliance. Quite the opposite. True strength and courage come from an utter reliance upon God, which can only exist out of an absolute trust in God. Right? You can't have strength and courage without reliance upon God, and you will not rely upon God if you do not trust him which is the lesson the people of God were learning in the most difficult ways as the Israelites under Moses had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 long years. And in the end, an entire generation of God's people died in that wilderness, never experiencing the fullness of all that God had actually prepared for them because they failed to fully trust in him. Just as I believe a lot of Christians throughout the ages, including this one, have lived and died without ever experiencing the fullness of the life that God had prepared for them because they never learned to fully trust in him along the way. And so after 40 long years, the Israelites finally come to face uh, with a decision, face to face with a decision under the command of Joshua. God's people will either choose strength and courage by fully trusting in God to lead them into all that he'd prepared for them. Or they could tuck tail and run which is what they've been doing for 40 years. So as we embark on this sermon series today, working our way through the book of Joshua, we're going to find out which choice they made right from the start. And I'm telling you what we learn here from Joshua should hit us right where we live today because the church in America is facing a very real decision at this pivotal moment in history. For too many long years, the American dream has lulled the church to sleep, and I believe generations of Christians have subsequently fallen short of all that God had prepared for them because they've trusted in the promise of the American dream more than they trusted in the promises of God. And as a result, the church, 
I believe, has been wandering in a wilderness of weakness and fear for far too long. And I'm telling you, I sense more than ever the Spirit of God calling us to rise to a new level of strength and courage, trusting absolutely in what he's calling us to do and in who he's calling us to be. Which may mean a radical departure for some believers from what they're used to because we've become comfortable in the wilderness living off the land, never having to confront or tear down walls in our lives that stand between us and everything God's prepared for us. But I, I think it's time, I think it's high time we made a decision to live our lives strong and courageously in the face of our greatest weaknesses and fears and begin taking back ground in our lives that we've allowed the enemy to occupy for too long. We have a big decision to make. Are we going to become the people, the church that God created us to be, the church this culture desperately needs us to be? Are we going to experience all that he's prepared for each one of us in this one lifetime? Or will we tuck tail and run, just continuing to blend in, wandering in the wilderness of a culture that is chasing empty promises and hollow dreams? We have a big decision to make. We have a fixed amount of time to make it. Because we have an opportunity in this one lifetime to completely transform the culture around us by radically loving people the way Jesus loved people. By laying our lives down for others even when they don't do the same for us. By advancing the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ without compromising that truth. But all of that will require us to be strong and courageous, trusting in God for each new day as we take ground that we've allowed the enemy to occupy for far too long, which happened to be the very situation facing God's people after the death of Moses and the commissioning of his assistant Joshua as their new leader, as we'll see. There's a collection of ancient writings, by the way, by Hebrew rabbis that detail Jewish law and tradition, it's called the Talmud, and it attributes the writing of this book to Joshua himself, probably from the late second uh, century, a second millennium BC, with the exception, of course, of the account of Joshua's death, which would have been uh, added later by one of his assistants uh, or attendants. And there are many modern scholars who agree Joshua is the author of this book as well. So we're going to begin this journey through the story of Joshua as told by Joshua and see what we can learn about what it takes to be strong and courageous in the face of life's greatest challenges as we take possession of what has been promised to us today by God. We'll begin with the first six verses then of Joshua 1, if you want to turn there with me. Joshua 1, 1 through 6. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So again, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses dies, and yet the people of promise, God's people, still haven't realized that promise. 
They still haven't entered the land which they were supposed to possess from the wilderness in the south to Lebanon in the north, from the river Euphrates in the northeast to the Great Sea or the Mediterranean Sea in the west. It's this uh, massive and magnificent piece of real estate that had been set aside by God just for them. And yet you understand the fact that they had not yet seen the promise fulfilled in no way invalidated the promise. Still, put yourself in their sandals. These people have been wandering around for a very long time. An entire generation has passed in that wilderness. Their leader, one of the greatest of all time, has died, and now his assistant takes over and is about to inform them that he will do what Moses was unable to do, to lead them somewhere they haven't been in the last 40 years, to guide them into the fulfillment of a promise that probably many of them had given up on a long time ago. But listen, that promise was uttered by God himself to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And it was as good on this day in the wilderness after 40 years of wandering as it was the day it was given. Moses had died. A generation of Jews had died, but the promise was still alive and well. And Joshua knew it. He understood that the promise of God had not been revoked. And so the Lord said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, when God makes a promise, it may take a long time and require great strength and courage to see it realized in your life. But the promise still stands regardless of your circumstances. We have a responsibility in that. To pursue that promise. God said to Joshua, you shall cause this, you, Joshua, shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. We have a part to play in seeing God's promises realized in our own lives. But before we can accomplish anything toward that goal, we first have to trust that what God is telling us is true. Okay, if you're going to be strong and courageous and pursue what God is calling you to pursue in your life, then you'll first have to learn to trust in God's promises because the wilderness was not meant to be your final destination. You hear me? The wilderness was not meant to be your final destination. Under Moses, the Israelites came to believe that the wilderness was their last stop. And so for that generation, it was. Just a month and a half after miraculously leading them out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery, After seeing God separate the sea and walking through it and moving toward their promised land, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I would have killed them. It's good. It's good I'm not God. I would have been whining too, by the way. I mean, they, they couldn't pursue the promise because they didn't trust in the promise. They were convinced the wilderness was their last stop. And so for that generation, it was. John Calvin once said, while men are cut off by death and fail in the middle of their career, the faithfulness of God never fails. On the death of Moses, a sad change seemed impending. The people were left like a body with its head lopped off. 
While thus in danger of dispersion, not only did the truth of God prove itself to be immortal, but it was shewn in the person of Joshua as in a bright mirror that when God takes away those whom he has adorned with special gifts, he has others in readiness to supply their place, and that though he's pleased for a time to give excellent gifts to some, his mighty power is not tied down to them, but he is able as often as seemeth good to him to find fit successors, nay, to raise up from the very stones persons qualified to perform illustrious deeds. Look, throughout your life, your circumstances are going to change, sometimes dramatically. Life doesn't always go as planned. We, we lose someone close to us, or a spouse leaves us. We lose a, a job or a position or something we were really counting on, it, and it doesn't come through. Listen, if we're not careful, we can tie the validity of a promise from God so closely to those people or those circumstances that have now changed that we think the promise is gone as well. Like when that person walked out the door, the promise went with them. That's not how God works. Because if God made you a promise, then he's going to keep that promise. Even if it means getting you there by way of a completely different set of circumstances than you ever imagined possible. The key is to trust that God will follow through on his part just as we must follow through on ours. You can't pursue the calling of God for your life. You can't take possession of a promise that you don't believe in to begin with. If God has given you a promise, you have to trust in that promise. I don't care how old you are or how long you've waited or what you've been through. If you can believe in the promise, then you can pursue the promise. Moses was 80 years old when he led the Jews out of Egypt. Sarah was 90 years old when she had Isaac. Luke tells us Elizabeth was advanced in years. Some believe in her late 80s when she had John the Baptist. And Joshua who grew up in Egyptian bondage, no stranger to the lashings of the slave master's whip, the endless impossible work in the brick fields, and 40 years of wilderness wandering after that. Do you know Joshua was approaching 90 years old here when he was commissioned to lead the people into the promised land, something he never could have anticipated as a young slave in Egypt. But you see, God didn't revoke his promise when things weren't going well for Joshua. And it did not expire when Moses died. The promise didn't die with Moses. You have to trust in his promises or you'll never pursue them. And if you don't pursue them, you'll probably never experience them. This is a big part of what it means to be strong and courageous. It's the choice to trust in God's promise for your life even when you feel weak and afraid, even when your circumstances change, even when people abandon you, even when others tell you it's impossible. You can still be strong and courageous in the face of all of that because you can trust in the promises of God in spite of all of that. And of course, knowing we feel that way at times, God made another promise, one that is perhaps the greatest promise a child of God could ever hope to hear. In verse 5, God gives to Joshua and his people this promise that he gave to Isaac back in uh, Genesis 26.3 that he gave to Moses in Exodus 3.12. He repeats it again to us in Hebrews 13.5 as we pursue the calling and commission of God in our lives. He says, I will not leave you or forsake you. He says it over and over again throughout Scripture. God says, I'll be with you every single step of the way. And that is as true for us now, today, as it was for them then. In addition to the Hebrews 13 reference in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm with you always to the end of the age, which means this very same promise that was given to Isaac and Moses and Joshua and Jesus' first disciples is given to you and I as well. 
And it gets even better than that because God not only reveals information to us through his promises, he also reveals himself to us through his promises. In Exodus 3, when he makes the promise to be with Moses, he also reveals his proper name, his true identity as Yahweh, the one true God. And of course, in Matthew 28, when Jesus promises, I'm with you always, the way he accomplishes that is by the revelation and indwelling of his Holy Spirit within all believers, which means no matter what is happening or not happening in your life right now, you can trust in the promise of God for your life because along with that promise comes the assurance that he is with you and ever revealing himself to you all along the way, which should give you immeasurable strength and courage to trust in that promise because the wilderness was never meant to be your final destination. Rick Warren once said, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. Let's keep reading verses 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so God continues to assure Joshua of the promises that he's given him and his people, including that most important one that he's, he's with Joshua wherever he goes. And at the same time, he continues to emphatically remind Joshua that he'll have to be strong and courageous all along the way. Because even though we are people of promise, that doesn't mean the journey getting there is going to be easy. And yet even in that journey, even when it's difficult, even when you can't see what's around the bend, God says you can succeed and prosper all along the way as long as you learn to trust in God's word. In fact, you must if you're going to finish the journey and obtain the promise. He said to Joshua, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law God's word shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Okay, when it comes to God's word, by the way, Joshua had the book of Deuteronomy. We have the completed canon of scripture, the, the Holy Bible. God says, if you want to have success, if you want to prosper, then you're going to have to feed on my word. Let it not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. And only then, he says, will you make your way prosperous. And only then will you have good success. This is probably one of the most overlooked and underutilized promises of God of them all. The promise that we will be prosperous and successful on our journey through this life if, if we would but immerse ourselves in God's word, living according to its every instruction, not turning away from it to the left or to the right, feeding on it day and night until we're so saturated with his word that it comes out of us in everything that we say and do. Yet I think for many Christians, it's, it's probably more of a last resort than a way of life. Some of us have become so accustomed to following the ways of this world in our 
pursuit of the American dream that we don't think seriously about his word until our plans start to fall apart. Then we get serious about it as we frantically search uh, the pages of scripture looking for answers. But God says, if you'll make my word a real priority in your life to the point that you spend so much time there that when plans don't go as planned, you won't have to panic because you'll already know what to do because you'll have my word inside of you day and night. If you'll feed on it for your very life, you'll find strength and courage in these pages and you'll find success and prosperity even in the midst of your most difficult challenges. By the way, if you read this passage in the ancient Hebrew, the terminology used for prosperity and success has nothing to do with worldly wealth or worldly success. Rather, it has everything to do with accomplishing the mission, successfully answering the call of God on your life in any and every circumstance that you face along the way. The word for success, it's sakal in the Hebrew, means wisely understanding and to have insight and comprehension. In other words, when your plans don't go as planned, if your life is saturated in God's word, then you'll have the wise understanding and the insight and comprehension that you need to know how to proceed, which is the very definition of success. The word prosperous, salak in the Hebrew, means to push forward and to break out. So being successful and prosperous means when your plans don't go as planned, if your life is saturated in God's word, you'll have the wisdom and insight that you'll need to push through and break out into the promise that he's prepared for you. Which, of course, is exactly what everybody wants, to have the wisdom and insight to be able to push through life's greatest challenges until we fully realize God's promises for our lives. And yet, when we neglect the very source of that wisdom and insight, it only stands to reason that we feel weak and afraid when our plans don't go as planned. And God knows that. So he says to Joshua to finish this journey and obtain the promise you're going to have to be strong and courageous, so trust in my word because that is what will give you the wisdom and insight that you need to make it there. Let's finish the chapter, verse 10 to the end. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, has given you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered, Joshua, all that you've commanded, uh, commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So in that last section of the story, Joshua responds, to all that God has been telling him. First, he commands the officers of the people to go through the entire encampment and direct the people to make ready, to pack up the supplies they will need to cross the Jordan and take possession. That's a really important phrase we'll get to in a second. To take possession 
uh, of the land that God had promised them. And then Joshua does something interesting, which if we were to overlook it would be a profound uh, oversight. He goes before the Transjordanian tribes, the two and a half tribes who were to settle east of the Jordan based on an earlier agreement with Moses, which means they have no direct interest from a land perspective in crossing the Jordan to take possession of the land west of the Jordan with the rest of Israel because they're already at their final destination east of the Jordan. Their inheritance uh, is on the eastern side, which is where they are now. And yet Joshua goes to them, and in obedience to God's earlier command in verse 8, that this book of the law shall not depart your mouth, and also to inspire these fighting men, he quotes nearly verbatim Deuteronomy 3, 18 through 20, when he tells them to leave your wives and your children and your livestock here, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. In other words, Joshua says, hey, fellas, uh, you can leave your families here, just leave your families, uh, your belongings, your children in your new homeland. But all of you military men are coming with me. So take up arms, boys, kiss your wives and your kids, and let's get moving. And of course, they agreed. Everything Joshua commands them in the ancient Near East, a change of leadership would generally involve a pledge of loyalty anyway to the new leader, particularly before any military action was taken. By the way, the men of valor, as Joshua describes them, were not your average military men. These, these were the military elite, the special forces. Joshua was gathering the finest fighting military force among them. But why? If God said he was giving the land to his people. In fact, he said he's already given it to his people. Why all this? 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Obviously, it was God's will for his people to have this land. He said it over and over and over again. Joshua and the people were responding obediently to all that God was telling them to do. I mean, God could have easily, by a mere thought or a simple word from his mouth or nothing more than a wave of his hand, he could have utterly eliminated the enemy before the Israelites even got out of bed. Every single part of the promise could have been handed to them by God. And we know it was his will for them to have it. So why gather the finest fighting military force that you can possibly muster to cross an impossible river into a land that God had already promised to give them? The answer lies in verse 11, where Joshua commands the people to prepare to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He didn't say prepare for God to drop the promise in your lap. No, he said prepare to take possession of what God has promised you. He promised the land, but the people would have to go and take it for themselves. In fact, they would have to fight for it. You see, Joshua understood something profoundly important that eludes many Christians today. The fact that when God calls you to something, when he makes you a promise, there will be times when you're going to have to fight for that promise. Because there's always a process involved in getting there every single time. And that process, that journey to your final destination is just as much a part of that calling and that promise as the destination itself. 
And Joshua understood that. He knew there was a fight coming. If he was going to be strong and courageous for that fight, for what he was about to embark upon, then he would have to trust in God's process. Okay, when God makes you a promise, there is always a process to seeing that promise fulfilled. At times on the journey to possessing God's promise for your life, there will be people who will stand in your way. That is a part of the process. At times, circumstances will conspire against you like a great wall between you and that promise. That is a part of the process. At times, people who you are desperately depending on will abandon you. That is a part of the process. At times, you're going to experience heartache and loss that seem beyond anything you can recover from. I'm telling you, that is a part of the process. At times, you're going to grow beyond weary, physically, emotionally, spiritually empty. That is a part of the process. And it is in those moments, those seasons even of loss and hurt and loneliness and disappointment and struggle when you will have to fight for the promise. Why? Because he's not going to drop it in your lap. You're going to have to fight because that is always a part of the process. You see, but in our Christianized version of the American dream that's that been embraced by so much of the church in our culture, we've become accustomed to seeking comfort, comfort and safety and security, material prosperity, to the point that when God gives us a promise or we sense his calling in our lives, we don't think we should have to fight for it. Because if it's God's will, and we ask anything according to his will, well, then it's just going to come, right? It sounds nice, but that's not how God works. Because the journey to the promise, the process, is what makes you who you are. It's how God shapes you to be able to possess the promise when the time comes. Woodrow Kroll once said, God won't light your second step until you've taken the first one. So look, don't despise the process. And don't give up when your plans don't go as planned. Because that's just another part of the process. And besides, when it comes uh, time in the process that you have to fight just to keep going, that's when your mettle is tested. That's when your character is shaped and exposed. Those are the moments where your future is defined in how you respond in the process when everything is not going according to plan. And in those moments, you have a big decision to make. To stay there and fight for the promise he's given you. Or to tuck tail and run. And listen. He won't stop you from running. He won't stop you from choosing the relative ease of the wilderness that requires little and rewards little. In fact, you can live out your entire life there and even die in the wilderness, never experiencing all that God has prepared for you. And I'm sad to say that is the case for many who never choose to live in the strength and courage that he's offering you. And it's not just an individual issue either. It's a church issue. It is an American church issue. And I honestly believe as our culture becomes increasingly post-Christian that we are rapidly approaching a pivotal moment in history for the church. And so we have a big decision to make. 
Will we choose to walk in strength and courage, becoming the people, the church that God created us to be, the church this culture desperately needs us to be? Are we going to fight for that, for all that he's prepared for us in this one lifetime? Or will we tuck tail and run, just continuing to blend in with a culture that is comfortable wandering in the wilderness? Because look, radically loving people the way Jesus loved people, that is decidedly counter to our culture. Actually laying our lives down for others even when they don't do the same for us. That's, that's counter to our culture. Advancing the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ with conviction instead of compromise. That is counter to our culture. Even counter to some of our church culture. Which means we're going to have to fight as the process continues to unfold for the promise that he's prepared for us to become all that we can become, to fight for the ground in our own lives and in our culture that we've allowed the enemy to occupy for far too long, to fight for a great harvest of souls who see us, Christian men and women, remarkably strong and courageous because we've learned to trust in God's promises and we've learned to trust in God's word and we've learned to trust in God's process even when our plans don't go as planned. That is the church this world needs to experience, and I think they will, because I honestly believe, in fact, I sense in my spirit that we are rapidly approaching a moment in history when we will be forced to choose to continue wandering in the wilderness of mediocrity because of weakness and fear, or to fight for the promise of God as we make a decision once and for all to be strong and courageous. Let's pray.